This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Chris Burford credit counselor and educator for Clearpoint Credit Counseling Solutions. And Nancy Lottridge-Anderson is out this week, so sitting in her place is Ryder Taft of New Perspectives. This morning, we're going to take a look at the Ten Commandments of Getting Debt-Free. Also, we'll touch on managing your portfolios in the wake of the post-Brexit financial roller coaster. And as always, we take your calls and emails on your personal finance questions. The phone lines are open, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464, or send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, gentlemen. Hope that you had a good weekend. Good morning. Good morning. Ryder, good to have you back with us. Uh, have you heard anything uh, from Nancy during her vacation, or has she pretty much uh, been incognito? Well, uh, we've been really worried that she's going to be eaten by a bear, but um, <laughs> I don't think that's happened, so I think we're safe there. All right. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and your role at New Perspectives. I started working at New Perspectives about five and a half years ago, and I, Nancy pushed me to uh, encourage me to study for the CFA charter, which I passed all those tests, um, got the charter after four years, and I'm a portfolio manager there. I basically we sh- we share that kind of main advisor role, and um, and I. All right. Uh, so what about uh, any sort of uh, financial news in the news? Well, obviously, a big thing that people have been talking about is Brexit, which was the Britain voting to leave the European Union. Um, just a couple of things. The impact of Brexit, it's already being felt. They're kind of wide ranging impacts. Uh, for instance, they were eliminated from the Euro soccer tournament after they <laughs> lost to Ireland yesterday. And so in the past few days, we've seen the collapse of sterling. Uh, the currency was down as much as 12% overnight, and the promising soccer player Raheem Sterling is just having had a terrible time in the tournament, um, had a terrible first half he played in his first game, dropped from the lineup for the second game, and um, and they're out of the tournament. So Sterling is having a terrible time. <laughs> uh, slight correction, as much as the Irish would uh, value the, uh, the victory, I believe it was Iceland, which I think was a little bit more of an upset uh, that uh, eliminated, uh, but uh, I think... Oh, I did mean to say Iceland. All right. And our producer, Sam Wells, uh, I can't remember. Did Wales, uh, is Wales still in it, Sam? Wales is still in it. Yeah, okay. they play um, Portugal, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, okay. I was I need watching to some of that over the weekend. They have, a, they have a match on Friday, I believe. Okay. Uh, that's Euro 2016, for those that are not aware of what we're talking about. One of the big uh, soccer tournaments, or football as they call it over there on the continent, uh, that takes place, I guess, uh, every four years. Am I right on that one, Sam? Yes, you're correct. All right, very good. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. How much should people here in Mississippi that have um, investments and that sort of thing worry about the Brexit and things that uh, that go, go on on a global scale? For Brexit in particular, not a whole lot unless you are invested heavily in the pound. Um, obviously, any big event will trigger kind of a flight to quality because people are nervous. People don't know what's going to happen. And I think this is a particularly interesting one in that even though people have been campaigning to leave, nobody really had a plan for what to do when they leave. So it's not super clear how this process is going to work out. However, for Americans who don't have a particularly strong investment bias in England, the impact shouldn't be huge. 
Um, we have a $20 trillion economy. They have a $3 trillion economy. We do do a good bit of trade with them. Um, it is helpful that they are a very good link for us culturally and language-wise to Europe. Um, but the the longer impact to us is is much, much smaller than it is to England. And and again, sort of maybe on the global market, is the, the fact that it's going to take two years for the whole process to occur, does that ease minds any? Does that help the situation where people maybe have time to work out what's going on and, and adjust? It could go either way, really. Um, th- the main thing, th- not much is clear here. Um, it's not it's not super clear how England is going to leave. Most people understand that this is not going to be super good for England's economy. However, the effects uh, on other countries, the estimates are all over the place. So nobody really has a good idea. The fact that it's going to take two years might be a good thing if they develop a clear plan and they say, okay, look, you have a year to get in line with this regulation. You have a year to adjust to this regulation. Um, but the t- but if it just kind of muddles about for two years, and again, they haven't even started the process. So waiting to start the process is, is going to be problematic. You know, you said some folks are saying, hey, uh, for them, it's not going to be real, you know, work out real well, or they think it's going to be a challenge. But for everybody else, they're, they're all over the board. In what way, I mean, is it they're saying on the positive side, like it's going to be really positive for us, like here in America, or um, from, you know, basically trade, or, I mean, well, give me an idea. Uh, I've seen a range of estimates. One was that the Eurozone and other countries outside of England would benefit like 12% from this, which would be huge. That would be massive. Um, but some saying there's going to be basically no difference. I think... Uh, uh, if a lot of jobs and a lot of economic activity is going to be leaving England, a lot of it's just going to be going to the EU. Um, but some of it, if it's going somewhere, some of it could come to the US in some way. The financial sector in England is really big, has grown a lot in the past few decades because of them being such a useful link between the US and the EU. If they become less useful, a lot of those jobs are going to go to, a lot of that economic activity is going to go to Paris, it's going to go to Frankfurt. Maybe some of that's going to go to New York too. Um, but again, the impact is going to be much, much smaller on, on the U.S. and uh, also a lot less clear. This is, this is pure speculation here. And I guess as a general rule of thumb in investments, uh, you never want a knee-jerk reaction to any kind of events like this, either domestically or internationally. It's always maybe a good idea to divide your time and sort of wait and see which way the, the wind blows, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And it all depends on what your strategy is as well. Um, a lot of people thought, okay, well, before this happened, we kind of, you know, we knew it might get volatile. Well, if your strategy is, you know, to step out on the side for a few days at a time when you know things are going to get weird, well, then absolutely do that. But if your strategy is a buy and hold, I don't want to deal with the stress and the risk of getting out at the wrong time, even if I do plan on getting back in. If that's your strategy, then don't change it now uh, unless you unless you do see either a change in your long-term goals or in your long-term outlook. And for most people, their goals haven't changed because of this. And for most people, their outlook, at least for American investors, should not have changed very much either. So, Chris, you're going to turn in all your uh, Great Britain pounds now and get them um, converted? Uh, I hadn't lost an ounce of sleep. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, I guess when these things happen, I just, the the dust is still up there and it's going to gradually settle. And, 
you know, um, it's we were talking earlier. You you say you know companies will make adjustments, and if they're affected, yeah, some of them are short term, some of them are. I don't, when I say long term, might be a two or three years out there, but uh, it'll it'll adjust out, and there'll be a few losers and a few winners, but I don't think really bad, and and it will just continue to move forward. Absolutely. And as uh, Sam, our producer, points out, that for international travel, this, this might actually help out some. So maybe we'll see an easing. And uh, at least if you are planning a trip to England, might, now might be a good time uh, to go, as I said. Yeah, maybe Nancy could meet uh, Heather and her uh, husband in uh, London or something. It'd be cheaper for her yeah. to do that. It's about a 10% discount on England right now. It's a great sale going on. Uh, Wimbledon is coming up. Uh, actually, it's even started. So that would uh, drop drop uh, there and run over there and watch that. So. <clears throat> Uh, I, actually, they might invite me to play. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got some open phone lines. We're going to take your personal finance questions this morning. We're also going to be talking about the Ten Commandments of Getting Debt Free. So if you have a personal finance question or maybe you have a tip that uh, helps you manage your finances and stay debt free, let us know by giving us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Now it's a good time to take our first break of the hour. We'll get back. We will dig into the Ten Commandments for Getting Debt Free. It comes from yahoo.com. We'll be back with more after this. on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Chris Burford and sitting in for Nancy Lottridge Anderson this week. It's Ryder Taft of New Perspective. So we're looking for any personal finance questions that you have via phone call or email. And also we're going to talk about some of the Ten Commandments for Getting Debt Free. It comes to us from yahoo.com. So the number to call if you'd like to call in with a question is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And we do have a, an email here uh, that says, Currently, I have about $40,000 in debt. Most of it is revolving credit card debt. I also have my home up for sale and, ex- and uh, expect that the proceeds will pay all my debt off everything. My question is, if I pay off all the credit card debt, how will this affect my credit score? Assumptions. I've had a credit score of about 720 for many years. I'm 40 have no, uh, and have many good years of credit. Not married, no kids. Vehicle is paid in full. No other liens or debt. So any thoughts on, uh, Chris, the, paying off the debt? Again, you know, nothing on a credit score, credit report happens overnight. We know that. No, I mean, if you, uh, if you pay off all your credit card debt and it goes to a zero balance, it's, uh, I mean, okay, let's be honest. That's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Um, you're not paying interest. You, and like I say, they're not sending me a statement anymore, wasting a stamp on me. 
they're kind of removed from my life in a way, uh, even though they do want you to go out and keep the cards and charge them back up. But, um, but again, from a score standpoint, I mean, if you pay it all off at one time, uh, it's probably going to kind of stay around the same. Well, let me explain that. Now, if you go in and close them down, those lines of credit are going to go away. Um, but I, the, the bottom line is, is what's more painful thinking about a score going up or down 10 points or a deal with $40,000 debt. I know what would be migraine for me. Um, but so again, now selling this house, I, I, you know, I guess that's what their goal was to sell the house and clean all the debt up. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read into this and kind of start over. Uh, and, and if that's the goal, you know, great, go for it. Uh, you know, the main thing is you're not paying a lot of interest right now. So, yeah, I think of the, uh, one of the uh, suggestions we've made previously is uh, if you close too many uh, cards at one time, it might be, a, again, a temporary ding on your credit score because of the way that credit scores are figured out and that sort of thing. But, again, I would, I would agree paying off credit card debt uh, certainly is going to help out uh, your credit score in the long run, I would think. Now again, uh, we hadn't we hadn't touched on this just for a second here, but I will, you know, get if you sell your house, pay off credit card debt, even going in before all that, get your budget together, money in, money out, monitor your expenses, really try to, uh, and if there's a I call it just a, a differential spread in there, if you start saving money, so you could swing this from being a lot of debt to all of a sudden you're building assets, you know, build that emergency fund and. And yeah, in a way, you're you're starting over, uh, but but a part of this too, you still got a credit file that if it was a year from now, I said I need to go buy a car, probably at a very competitive interest rate. If you said I'm gonna finance it, uh, you could do that probably. Also, though, seven twenty is what he said his score that's not, was. That's that's not a bad score to be with. So. That's competitive. I you know I, I don't know if um you, you know I, I'm I'm real confident you could go to a car dealership and they've got a lot of lenders out there. I'm real confident you can get a, you can buy a car. You know if you had to and. and in the mortgage world, I think last time I heard them, you know, credit score was around six forty to six fifty, maybe trying to get into a house. So, Ryder, let's say that the this guy does what he is; he's paid off all his debt, and and maybe he does want to maybe get in, involved in some sort of investment. Someone that's forty years old in that stage of life, uh, what would you recommend? Just some kind of general things if someone was sort of getting maybe restarted in in investing. Well, it's going to depend on a lot of things. Um, Partly if he has a significant amount of money left over after buying his house and, you know, what his living situation is going forwards. Um, like Chris said, the first step is going to be getting your budget in line. If you don't have your budget in line, you're just going to end up with that debt all over again. And one point I'd like to make, a lot of people, they're kind of scared of debt. If they have debt, they just want to get rid of it. But the thing is, there's a difference between having $40,000 in debt and $40,000 in cash and having $0. Because if you have $40,000 in debt and $40,000 in cash, if push comes to shove, you have cash to spend. If you paid all that debt off, if you need money, you have to go right back into debt. Um, so having that plan is super, super important. Once you have that, then you can start um, You know, 40 years old. You can probably still have a reasonably aggressive um, timeline there. It all just depends on his personal circumstances. All right, that's a good point. I had never thought about that, but you're right. If you wipe out all of the debt with all of your cash on hand, you're looking pretty good. But then if something comes up where you need some cash, you're, you're again stuck, and you're probably going to get back in that same uh, situation. You know, and consumers are working longer nowadays. And if you sold the house 40 years old and said, I'm, you know, uh, work, I'm going to work to 70, 70 years old, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but 
30 years of trying to you know build a little emergency fund but also mm-hmm. save invest for long-term retirement that's that, adequate time that's, isn't it? that's a good amount of time this is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're talking uh, today about uh, the Ten Commandments of getting debt free, but we're also taking your personal finance questions. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to money at mpbonline dot org. So again, uh, Yahoo dot com provides this list of the Ten Commandments of getting debt free. The first one is don't buy things you can't afford. Seems simple enough, but, you know, Chris, we've talked about this on the show before. Sometimes, uh, myself included, you get to be maybe an impulse shopper and you think you you need something, but uh, you you really don't. So what are your thoughts on, on trying to avoid buying things you can't afford? Well, I would say if I wanted to go out and buy a $60,000 ski boat, I would probably say that's something I couldn't afford. Kevin, um, I mean, that doesn't make sense for me. And um, uh, my wife would come after me pretty with her hands wrapped around my neck, probably. But, um, you know, but, you know, you got to sit down and back to the budget. What money in, money out, you know, and keep in mind a little bit. Okay, what if this happens? What if that happens? Sometimes it's hard to cover everything. But, you know, what are my needs? Kind of go back needs and wants. Um, I need a vehicle to get back forth to work and transport myself and kids or whatever. Uh, do I need, does Chris need a high-end motorcycle mm-hmm. uh, on the side? At this stage of the game, no, you know. But So you got to need to want cash flow, budget, savings, and, and, um, and again, is it affordable? And there's more to it than just maybe buying it. And even if you pay cash for it, is there going to be insurance? What's the risk tied to all this? And so there's always uh, in any new little toy or asset out there, I like. there's always risk, and most of the time there's insurance tied around it. So, Ryder, what about uh, trying to prevent overspending? I know especially in, in the summertime, a lot of families go out on vacations, uh, that sort of thing. Can you think of anything maybe to think about before they head out to help keep the spending in check? Uh, well, actually, I just got back from about a week's worth of vacation, and I spent a lot of money on food. However, I also ate a lot of dollar slices of pizza in New York, so that's a way to stay <laughs> on budget. Um, having a budget beforehand or having uh, – if it's not necessarily a strict budget, having an approach to how you're spending money is important. Um, planning out some of your larger expenses, knowing those big activities that are going to cost you a lot of money, that's going to help. Um, but while you, you don't know what all you're going to spend while you're in a different place, but having an approach and thinking about how you are going to decide whether or not to spend that money is going to be important. You know, Are you going to allocate yourself money just to shopping while you're out? Because going to a new bigger city, like great shopping opportunities that we don't have here. Uh, or are you going to spend all your money on food? Are you going to go for a budget hotel? Or do you want to stay at a nice hotel? Having that approach is going to be really important. Yeah, that's one that, uh, that I think about is um, I don't stay in – luxury hotels very often but on occasion with conferences or whatever i do and i've always thought it's like it almost seems like a waste because there's so much stuff to do you know the sauna the gym all the the pool that kind of thing but then usually you're in a city to do the things in the city and so i'm i'm a big believer in find a hotel room that's comfortable working air conditioner that sort of thing but you know try to avoid that's i think that's a good area uh, where you could avoid a a lot of overspending uh, during a holiday uh, also, uh, something like Disney World, if you're going there on a vacation, uh, maybe don't eat there. Uh, you know, pay the $50 for the Mickey Mouse bar or whatever it is there. So uh, I think there are some ways that if you keep thinking, 
that you know you can keep the spending in check and still have a good uh, family vacation. You know, that's what um, excuse me, we went to Disney World you know a number of years ago, and um, uh, again, and where the kids were old enough to I think enjoy it, and everybody's got to make their own decisions. But uh, and we kind of we ate a as we stayed off grounds, had a good, very nice hotel, had a great breakfast in the morning. We travel in. We'd have the backpack loaded down with knives and, and, and water and drinks, yeah. and they allowed you to bring. And we went hard, but what we, our goal was, like, every night, you know, we picked two or three, I think out of six days, there were about three days, we picked nice places to eat, and mm-hmm. we knew it was going to be expensive, and then we kind of ratcheted it down from there. But um, uh, that's where we kind of tagged our money, uh, not because, yeah, it can get really yeah. expensive on those grounds for, for young kids. I mean, whew. Yeah, the, the first time I went to Disney World was actually when it, right after it first opened, so in the 70s, I'm dating myself here. I was a very young child, however. <clears throat> but that was back when they had the – each attraction had a different – they had A through E, and the good attractions were A and down down to E. And, of course, they gave you this book. Well, then what happens, everybody ends up at the end of their thing, and they've got – I got this pile of E tickets for all the crappy rides that nobody wants to go on. But, as again, that was many moons ago, and I'm sure they – I know they have revamped their – their policy there, but uh, that was interesting. So uh, let's move on to number two, thou shalt pay yourself first. Uh, Ryder, what do you think that means exactly? Um, well, one thing, especially if you get a steady paycheck and you work at a job with a retirement plan, always, always, always participate in that retirement plan. Oftentimes that will lower the amount of tax you have to pay. And the beautiful thing about it from kind of a behavior standpoint is you don't even see that money go away unless you pay a lot of attention to your check stub. Like, well, you should kind of should, but <laughs> you don't, you, you never get that money. So you never have the temptation to spend it. Um, and so kind of bump up your contribution to your retirement plan, uh, is, is a really, really, really good first step. Um, let's get a call on the line here. We are going to Ron who's called in from Jackson. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. What's your uh, question? So my situation is I have a Roth IRA, and I also have a 401k through my job, uh, a part-time job that I have. So I'm trying to figure out if I want to roll over at some point the 401k into the Roth IRA, is that possible? And if so, um, will I have to pay like a penalty or fees or anything to do that? Yes, that is possible. Um, it's going to depend on, for, firstly, you can't roll over 401k if you're still working at the job. So if you did leave that job, you can roll that over into an IRA or something. Um, the problem is when you, and, and you can roll over 401k or an IRA into a Roth, you will have to pay taxes. And depending on your age, you may have to pay penalty taxes on that. So what might make sense for you to do is roll that over into just a regular IRA. So you have it just someplace you can kind of park it with low fees and, you know, modest investments. And then, um, later after, once you're, once you're um, closer to retirement, you can roll that into a Roth IRA. Um, possibly when you have a lower income, you can roll that into a Roth IRA, which is, I, I applaud you for wanting to put in a Roth IRA. That's, I think, the best deal going in tax avoidance right now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, much. All right, Ron, thanks for the call. This is Bunny Talks on MPB Think Radio. We need to take another quick break. When we get back, we'll continue to take your personal finance questions. Also, we'll continue working through our list of the Ten Commandments of Getting Debt-Free. The number to call to join the conversation is one eight seven seven 
MPB Ring. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more of the show after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Chris Burford, credit counselor and educator for ClearPoint Credit Counseling Solutions, and Ryder Taft of New Perspectives, who's sitting in this week for Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, who I think will be back on the program shortly. Uh, we are looking for your personal finance questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. We're also talking about the Ten Commandments of Getting Debt-Free. This was on uh, yahoo.com. The first one was try to not to buy things you can't afford, so watch your overspending or just keep a track uh, on that sort of thing. Number two that we're talking about is thou shalt pay yourself first. Uh, Chris, what does that mean to you? Well, basically just, you know, paying yourself on the front end, as we were talking about earlier. Um, deduct money out on the front end on the paycheck. Uh, also, if you can set it up, some people where money comes in, you know, direct deposit and checking, and automatically, you know, money just drafts over or transfers over to a savings. So setting things up to where I can live off this amount of funds coming in on a monthly basis, uh, after that's after you know all the other standard deductions, but I'm saying I'm gonna kind of say also money for say I mean retirement or money for set aside for emergency funds, and I've kind of put me a I've got me a ceiling of money here to to deal with, uh, and also I'm looking at my expenses. So uh, if you get in that habit and continue on, we know things are gonna kind of pop up every once in a while, and you have to I like to say dip in savings and fix some things, but continue that trend. Then you can, you know, you're better off than not doing anything at all. Something's better than zero. So keep that in mind. Uh, number three is you should have an emergency fund. And that's uh, one, of the, one, one of the few things I, I pride myself on in my personal finances that I do have an emergency fund set up a number of years ago, give uh, money to it every month. Uh, as we've been talking about, it's one of those where it's automatically moved into um, my um, uh, credit card account. I don't have to do anything, it's automatic. So that certainly makes it easy. Uh, the interesting thing, though, is I love this. What should be considered an emergency? Hospital injury, car wreck, sale on shoes? <laughs> well, historically, it kind of starts in that order. Let's say, you know, hospital or medical bills that pop up. You know, some people can handle certain things in the cash flow. You know, mm -hmm. I've got a $50 medical bill. You know, I just kind of watch what I do. I'll take it out. I'm not going to worry about it. I don't have to dip into savings for that. But. You know, if, uh, if I've had a number of medical bills and after, as I say, all the dust settles and I go, well, $2,000 on medical bills and, you know, I'm going to pay y'all, uh, you know, I can I pay you $100 a month, but I tell you what, I'm going to take them to get it down. I might take a 1000 out of savings and put toward it. But, you know, I'm not saying, you know, again, 
it usually when you've got a higher amount of money or either a lot of times, especially with a car repair, they want their money then. That's a better example. Uh, that's what we've got a car in the shop right now. I took it down there last night, so I don't know what the result's going to end up being. So either I'll be happy or sad here coming up. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but things happen, don't they? They they certainly do. And that's a really good point about uh, the hospital injury. Usually you would consider that kind of the biggest emergency, but um, usually medical payments, they do, they're, they're pretty good about setting up payment plans usually. So your first step for that would not be pay the whole thing off, but figure out the ideal payment plan. Maybe you're going to end up paying a good chunk of it, but something like a car, something like a you know, if a limb falls on the roof of your house and you got to pay that, pay the deductible on your insurance, those are going to be real emergencies. You need to deal with them now. Uh, yeah, actually, my car's in the shop as well. I was in Hallamals recently. And, All right, guys, what have y'all been doing? <laughs> well, in my case, I ran into a pole. Which, well, it's my wife's car, so I can't. I, don't, I can't say anything. No, it's standard it was, maintenance. I was pulling out of a parking lot and ran into a pole that I was parked next to, which made me feel very stupid. Uh, the other funny thing was they. It was uh, after our meet and greets, Kevin. I've never seen anyone leave uh, <laughs> uh, with Coca so much Coca Cola. Right. It, it was an accident that someone who had had too much to drink would have made it. But no, as Sam has said, I had several cokes. So apparently, I don't know. Maybe the sugar rush is getting to me as well, I age. Did you have a little road rage on the pole and get out and well, at the, the pole? I, I, fortunately, there was no one around because I was a little bit upset. But the funny thing was the they were when I called in the insurance, they've got to go through all the standard thing. Were you wearing a seatbelt? Were there people involved? Blah, blah, blah. And she said, was there any property damage? I said, well, I didn't really look at the pole, but I don't think so. Well, then she says, we've determined that this accident is your fault. It's like I ran into a stationary pole. How else could it not be my fault? Uh, but anyway, the point is, I originally thought about I've got a $500 deductible that I have to pay. Uh, and I thought about the emergency fund, but I also have a credit card that I paid off that has a zero balance. And so I thought, well, I think I can swing that and pay that off over the next couple months. So I'm actually going to put it uh, put it on the credit card and, and, and save the emergency fund. But when you have one, that is an interesting and an important decision to make is, is this really, if it's a rainy day fund, the question is always is when is it raining? And so when do you really go into the fund? Well, the, the beauty of it, you've sat down and evaluated your options and you're saying, hey, this is the best option for me right now. And the beauty of it is if worst case scenario, you say, well, I just don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to, I'm going to pay this out over three months. 0%, no fees. Da, da. You know, I'm just going to take money out of savings. But that's the beauty. You've got great options. That's awesome. Exactly. And the other thing uh, to keep in mind, and, and that is, you know, there are more things than just the deductible. I've got to pay for the uh, rental car, too, which fortunately uh, it's only uh, like 3 or $4 a day, so that's good. But I'm uh, driving around a Prius uh, this week, so that's uh, interesting. Uh, very, very low engine noise. It's, it's kind of hard sometimes to know that the car is even turned on. Uh, so we're looking for any personal finance questions you have as we talk about our Ten Commandments of Getting Debt Free this morning. We've got some open phone lines. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So we're going through the list. We've talked about uh, not buying things you can't afford, paying yourself first, having an emergency fund. Number four, tracking your spending. And this, I guess, is kind of related to number one. If you give a good track of your spending, it's easier to not overspend because you know how much you have spent. So uh, any suggestions from either of you about uh, ways to to track your spending? Uh, Tracking your spending is super important um, because overspending is a problem. And the way to approach any problem is to find out as much about it as you can. Um, one thing that's helped me a lot is using the app or website mint.com. 
you can plug it into all of your online bank accounts, your credit card accounts, your mortgage accounts, all sorts of accounts. You can plug into it. It tracks your spending. It tells you how much money you have, and it even gives you warnings when you have a bill coming up or when you have unusual spending. You can set a budget within it. That's been very useful for me, especially when I'm getting started. Uh, now that I kind of I have my spending under control, I know how much I spend. I just go through my credit card statement um, on a every couple of weeks and make sure there's nothing weird, uh, which was really great actually the other day uh, that I do that because I saw that a restaurant had charged me twice for the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just submitted a sent, sent my card company an email and they mm-hmm. uh, they put the money back and just told me not to worry about it. So very convenient that way. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, with most accounts, you can get the online to look at your account. It's always a good idea. Just check it out. Uh, to make sure that there's nothing, you know, because a lot of times you might have ordered something online and there was a check mark that you didn't notice and it was for some ongoing thing, you know, how tricky they can be. So, yeah, always a good idea to review those uh, statements online every couple of weeks, make sure uh, that there uh, there's nothing there that shouldn't be. Looks like we've got another, whoop, had another call on the line, but let's go instead to this email that says, I'm a 21-year-old, soon-to-be senior in college and will be exiting school with zero debt. I'm looking to go either an MBA program or law school in a couple of years. This would be entirely self-financed. What would you recommend in terms of loans or saving techniques that would allow me to minimize loans? Um, Well, congratulations, finishing, I guess, undergrad, pretty much debt-free. I mean, that's big nowadays. That's awesome. It it really is. And um, um, hats off to them for that and um, however it was done. And um, uh, going into, I guess, uh, what is law school or working on masters? Uh, one of the two, and you know, explore all options. I will say this: wherever you're thinking about trying to go to school, I would explore any type of um, work study, any type of uh, lo- uh, loan, not like loans, but any type of grants or any type of. I'm gonna say just tag it free money, and and if you can do that, free money's and, good. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, and then that's kind of your first step in there where and again if you have to work a little bit and if it makes sense uh, to work and go school but start there and then probably the last resort is try to get around loans um and then on the other hand i will say this uh, you know well if it's going to take me i can go i'm just you know masters might be one year law school's three years uh you know well you know what i might have to work truly work part-time and go to school if i can kind of keep this all down because I, I wouldn't want the person, you know, the individual to say, well, I'm going to go to master's, borrow all the money, and if it's $20,000 for one year, then law school, I don't know, sixty dollars to $100,000, then come out and go, wow, you know, could I have reduced this down, stretched out the time? So really look at that closely and try to minimize as much debt as possible. The one really great thing about this is if you're planning on going back for an MBA or law school, those are two very employable things. Um, if you went back, you know, I always feel sorry for the art history majors when I say, <laughs> if you're going back for an art history degree, it might be more problematic. Uh, so those are things that if you do have to take out some loans to, to cover some tuition, then that's probably going to be fine. I would rather actually, just like before, I'd rather someone have some student loans and some cash on hand than to, to totally deplete their bank account. Because if you did totally deplete all of your funds uh, by the time you graduate, that's probably worse than having some debt and some cash by the time you graduate. So having those two employable degrees is important. And again, like Chris said, there are tons of options for grad school. Ask your employers, look for scholarships, do work study programs, teach in the undergrad departments, things like that. 
You have yeah. a lot of options. Well, we just had a reunion this past weekend of my wife and her side, of, and young ladies finished uh, school four year undergrad, and she's going back to get her master's uh, and work study combination, and to where they basically, you know. If you do ABC, and here's what I like to break it down. You do ABC, we're going to pay for you to go to school, and she's going to go to school free. And um, with a little bit of – she can do a little class, a little online, work a little bit over that period of a year, year and a half. I don't know how, much, how long she's got to kind of stretch it out, but can be doing – and it's not going to you know, walk out with no student loans. Mm-hmm. And so she figured that out, and my hat's off to her. She said, I'm willing to sacrifice this to get this. She can make it work, absolutely. Yeah. All right, we need to take one quick final break of the hour. When we get back, we've got Paul on the line from Biloxi with his question and also an email to get to. So this is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We will be back to wrap up the program after this. on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Chris Burford and Ryder Taft of New Perspectives. Uh, we've got a caller on the line, so let's go to Biloxi and say good morning to Paul. Hello, Paul. Hey, how's it going? Good. What's your question? Uh, just something about a uh, IRA. I, had, I ran into a problem uh, about a year ago, uh, not quite a year ago. I had to take some money out of my IRA in my you know, bank account, and I'm, I'm over 59 you know, or 60 and everything. But I want to repay it back so I don't have any penalties or taxes on that. Uh, what's the maximum amount that I can put back? Can I put the whole amount back in without any penalty? Or is there like a $6,500 is the maximum I can do during the year? So for an IRA, if you take money out, you can do what's called, I believe, a 60-day rollover where you can take some money out and then put it back in within 60 days and just you get to act like nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. But if you did this last year, then it's going to be too late for that. Uh, However, you'll still be able to make your regular contributions. So uh, since you're over, you said you're over 60, you should be able to do catch-up contributions. You can put it up to, if it's a personal IRA, up to $6,500. And as long as, as long as you're still working, that's $6,500 up to, you know, however much you're making. And uh, that should be able to, that's what you'll be able to put in. Okay, because I was, I was was actually thinking, actually, it was, it was uh, after the tax year, so I guess it was like in in January. It was this year, so it'd be January. So I was just wondering if I put the money back at the sixty five hundred. Does I know I have to pay taxes on the the money I took out, but will that balance uh, since it'll be tax free if I put it back in? Kind of. And it, I mean, it depends on, because you're not going to pay, since you took it out in January, you're not going to pay taxes on it until next year. Um, and you, and whatever money, so whatever that money you took out, you pay taxes on, but then if you put money in, if it's a traditional IRA style, then you're going to get a tax deduction. 
Okay, so it'll just basically balance out. But the next one, I could put in 6500 for the year? Correct. Okay, so I basically have to pay taxes on the $3,500 over that. Correct. Okay. All right, well, that's, I, that, was my, that was my question. I didn't know if, yeah. if I could put the full 10000 back. Right. And, and and it would just clear itself out or if there was that $6,500 limit. That's correct. Basically, after that 60-day window is up, then you just you can continue putting your regular contributions. Those aren't disallowed in any way, but mm-hmm. that's that's all you have left. Can you put a bulk amount in or do you have to put the steady amount back in? You can put it in however you like, so long as it gets in before you file your taxes for next year. Okay, well, thank you very much. It's been very helpful. Thanks for the call, Paul. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Here is an email that says, uh, what are the other savings options for an employer 403B that has a high expense ratio for their plans? I'm already maxing out a Roth IRA but like to save more, planning to stay with an employer for 15-plus years. Way to go on maxing out your Roth IRA. That's that's incredible, Uh, and that is... I love people who can max out their Roth IRAs. If you can't contribute any more to your 403B, then you've maxed out your tax-deductible accounts. You've maxed out your Roth IRA, your tax-exempt account. So the only thing you have available to you now is just a regular taxable account. And so that's just, just like opening an account at a bank where the interest you earn at the bank is you have to pay tax on, you can open up a brokerage account, which is a taxable brokerage account where any dividends or capital gains you have tax on. However, the the tax rate on those is always going to be lower than what your income tax is, basically. It has a preferred tax rate on it. So you can just open up a taxable account. Uh, If you have your Roth IRA at a brokerage somewhere, that brokerage can open up the account for you and just invest it kind of modestly, some buy and hold uh, index funds, just whatever is appropriate for, for how you are investing for your goals. And if you're working with a financial advisor, then they can certainly help you explain which assets are ideal for which account. Very good. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We were going through a list of uh, 10 commandments for getting debt free. See if we can't get through a couple of these here in the last few minutes. We talked about uh, not buying things you can't afford, uh, paying yourself first, setting up in an emergency fund, tracking your spending. The next one, and I I hope no one is uh, having to deal with this, don't ignore debt collectors. Uh, First of all, Chris, I would say if if you are getting calls from debt collectors, that that might be a red flag because that's that's not – I mean that's a pretty serious situation. Well, with it, you know, evidently you've got um, some debt, and it could be, you know, I, I'm I'm grouping a car loan that's, you know, you're paying on now, or either it could be a medical bill you hadn't paid on in three years. But long story short, is it's something past you or been charged off, and and they're trying to call, catch it up, or either collect it. And um, yeah, you, you need to touch base with them quickly and kind of explain. Chances are something's happened, Kevin, to where, uh oh, you know, I've. You know, um, in our world that we see or job loss or a family uh, change of the family unit or something out there that, and they go, uh-oh, it squeezed me, my cash flow's tighter. You know, I can't do this now or that maybe this this month or two, I, but I can correct it. Uh, or either I've just had some hard luck for two or three years, and now I'm trying to clean up all the loose ends. But, you know, yeah, communicate to them what, what do you think the best thing you do you can do. But, but again, keep in mind, you got to look at your budget, see what you can you know, I've had some clients say, well, I got calls and I committed to pay them, 
you know, $300 a month for five months to pay it all off. And I said, but I said, what's your budget look like? Well, what that means is I can't make my car payment now. So, so again, we had to sit down and say, what's the best avenue, even though it might not be option one, it might be option four compared to option six. And, um, uh, so, uh, but yeah, you know, try to address it, pay attention, communicate, uh, do the very best you can. Sometimes even the very best doesn't really solve it, but you're at least addressing it. Also, I guess, you know, you would want to make sure with, uh, the, what the debt is so you understand, you know, who it is that's, that you owe the money to, how much the debt is, that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> and then I think we had a call last week. Someone was being harassed by a debt collector when it was not their debt. And, and I think uh, in that case, uh, you probably uh, have some recourse as well, maybe um, – try to write a letter and let them know that they're they're chasing after the wrong person you know it was a number of years ago i mean six seven years ago uh kevin remember we had a lady call in and it was um due to some medical children we're talking seven eight hundred thousand dollars in medical bills owed and there was a i want to pay this i feel committed to it but in that situation was there was no budget there was no assets that you could you know in your lifetime you couldn't fix it you couldn't work six jobs to fix it because you know what would happen. We know what happened then. So, uh, you know, do the very best you can to address debts, uh, and, um, put a plan together. If you need to go see a counselor or somebody, you, you know, look up, uh, research it and get to a counselor. All right. And one final one that I think is very important, make your payments on time. It, you would be amazed at how healthy your credit score looks if you, uh, you know, control your spending, uh, but uh, make those payments on time. And I think that you will benefit from that as well. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. You can download the MPB Public Radio app if you want to listen to uh, Money Talks or any of our other shows on your schedule. Our show is produced by Sam Wells. So for Chris Burford and Ryder Taft, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned up next. It's In Legal Terms. That's followed at 11 by Relatively Speaking. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks, only on MPB Think Radio. Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Good Tuesday morning, everyone, and it's not going to be as hot today. That's the headline, and yes, I do think we're going to see at least a couple of showers and thunderstorms as we go.